very sad, tragic, but very important story that has received barely a lick of attention from the national media. This is Jonathan Lewis Jr. He's dead at the age of 17 years old. He died last week after a horrific beating that he received on November 1st outside of a high school in Las Vegas. Now, KLAS-TV broadcast this footage, uh, cell phone video, and you can see a bunch of kids, some engaged in a brutal attack, others just walking around, some laughing, some running away, but a young man in the middle is being beaten to death, and the family is understandably devastated. Quite frankly, the country should be devastated. Uh, there is an appalling lack of attention on this case, on this matter. Uh, but here is the young man's father speaking earlier. Jonathan was uh, trying to help one of his friends um, who was being bullied. And um, he went to try to stick up for him. And uh, a couple of the kids out of this group had attacked him and he was defending himself. and. They weren't able to really beat him up, so the, all 15 of these kids went in and just beat him to death. Beat him to death without barely a mention anywhere. Sure, local news. Uh, I saw an article in USA Today, but there's been no national conversation about this horrific event like there was in Montgomery, Alabama a couple of months ago. You remember this, right? There was a rumble. There was a rumble. Some said it was race-motivated. Others said race was not a factor. But it was a rumble. And it did appear to be along racial lines. But nobody was killed. Everybody walked away from the fight. Everybody. Yet this was, oh my goodness gracious, this was uh, bigger than 1968, bigger than uh, anything you've ever seen. You have probably seen the video online by now, a big brawl along racial lines at the waterfront in Montgomery, Alabama. Thrown punch leads to an all-out brawl on an Alabama riverfront. Witnesses calling it an attack on a man just doing his job. A violent brawl in Alabama goes viral. A group of white voters accused of jumping a black security guard. Then a full-blown fight escalated on the riverfront. Yeah, there was a fight. There was a fight on a weekend night in Montgomery, Alabama. Nobody died, and it was told in the most dishonest way. They told it in a black and white fashion, right? The black people were good, the white people were bad, but like life, it's never quite that simple. And in fact, nobody bothered to show this footage of that Montgomery event. You see the woman in the white dress? Yeah, she's, got, she's getting beaten up uh, by two people, uh, shall we say, who don't look like her. But this was ignored because it did not fit, what's that word again? The narrative, the narrative, the narrative is a preferred way of presenting events, a way of presenting or understanding a situation or series of events that reflects and promotes a particular point of view or set of values. And the big value right now, the one that keeps the Democrats in power, oh boy, they wanted to, that America is inherently white supremacist and people of color, you got to sign on with the Democrats or else the Republican Party is coming to put you in change. Joe Biden actually said that at one point, everybody. Take a look. The resurfacing of white supremacy has been just an extraordinary phenomenon in the past few years. Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. 
security, one of the greatest threats to our national security is domestic terrorism manifested by white supremacists. We are living in a nation that is actually full of racism and white supremacy. Yeah, they say it so much that so many people have just accepted it. If you're at a party someday and you say, you know what, I think this white supremacy thing is uh, kind of made up, kind of a myth. <gasps> you might be asked to leave that party, okay? In certain enclaves in uh, America, this is, is gospel. Even though there's absolutely nothing to back it up. America's been having a very stupid conversation about race to avoid having a serious, consequential, and uncomfortable one. Barack Obama for a brief shining moment, seemed ready to have that discussion. He won't, so I will. Let me see that footage from the fight. These are the things that may have played a role, okay? Marijuana use, it's been legalized everywhere you go. I wanna know how many of those kids were uh, on dope. Depraved music, has anybody listened lately? <laughs> it has gone way downhill since Tipper Gore drew that line in the sand back in the 80s. And yeah, missing fathers. Barack Obama actually told me once that that's the big problem, right? Right there, especially in the black community. Too many dads, MIA. Too many dads, AWOL. Happens in all communities, but nowhere worse than in the African-American community. Now, we can talk about that, but it would get people upset and defensive. So we don't. We just pretend we're a white supremacy country so people feel comfortable. And we overreact to George Floyd. Horrible thing that happened to him. I wish he... I wish he were, were still alive, but I also wish that folks told the truth, the full truth, the whole truth, even the uncomfortable truth about what happened that day in Minneapolis in May of 2020. Like Derek Chauvin. And Derek Chauvin was the face of white supremacy, and that was, when I first saw it, I'm like, man, whoa, 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 whoa. But then I learned a little bit more, not because the media told me, but because I was curious. And then I found out that, well, Derek Chauvin wasn't the only one involved. There were three other police officers. Why don't they ever talk about the other police officers? Why was Derek Chauvin? And then I saw the mug shots and I started to figure it out, right? Okay, we got Derek Chauvin on the upper left, but you'll notice that two of the four happen to be people of color, right? You have an Asian man and a black man. Why were they not uh, highlighted? Why were they not part of the story? Because it undermines the story that they wanted to tell. Also, the handbook in the Minneapolis Police Department actually authorized as a neck restraint, neck restraint non-deadly force option defined as compressing one or both sides of a person's neck with an arm or a leg. Yeah, their own manual said you could use that maneuver. The knee on the neck seems crazy, but it was written in black and white. So but that stuff is, you know, you might get in trouble if you talk about it. So let's just stick to the easy narratives, right? White supremacy is the problem. And fights like this one in Las Vegas, well, let's pretend they didn't happen, all right? Let's just, let's just ignore it. Let's, let's, no, 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 no. Too many uncomfortable things. Too many things that we don't want to talk about are present there, potentially, so we move on, right? Have you heard of artificial intelligence? It's all the rage right now, right? Artificial intelligence. Uh, I'm not impressed, by the way. I try to have it do a report for me once. Uh, no, <laughs> it doesn't. It can't even write letters well. I... How about virtual reality? That's a little bit cooler, although I've used it and it makes me dizzy. But this is the thing you got to be really watching for, and no one's talking about it. I call it artificial reality. This manufactured reality by media, by big tech, portraying things as real when they're not real. And one of the big ones, one of the big victims of this actually is Donald Trump. 
Every day they try to portray him as a, as a dictator, as a fascist, as a threat to democracy. So unbelievably at odds with the person we all know. They take his words, they take him out of context, they do whatever they can. And now at this point, since they've indicted him, they've accused him of everything, they just have to keep upping the ante. They keep have to go and go and go. Who watches the Rachel Maddow show? I don't talk about it very much because, hey, it's her right to be a liberal. She can do whatever she wants. But that guy, that so-called presidential historian, Michael Bischloss, whatever, he doesn't really write books. He edits books, right? He, uh, he's not a good historian, and everybody knows it. But here he is talking about the threat that Donald Trump is. And people dig this guy. They love his, uh, they love his whole uh, act. And it actually makes a difference. A potential front runner or an actual front runner, Donald Trump, who's talking about fascism and suspending the Constitution and sending military soldiers to suppress dissent in every city of the country. That's what we're dealing with. So we could very well, a year from this month, have a pretty stark choice, and that is one presidential candidate, major party, who's defending democracy as Roosevelt did in 1940, and another who, if he is elected, could take us down the road of Mussolini and Hitler and other dictators. Mussolini and Hitler. Hitler. I'm hearing a lot about Hitler these days. They're getting desperate. They have no respect for us, by the way. No respect for their viewers. A lot of them actually buy this stuff. This is not a dictator. I'll show you right now. Is this, is this a man who looks like an authoritarian figure? Donald Trump in office. This is how he governed. People forget. He actually knew the system very well. He pushed it. He pushed it. No doubt about it. But he worked within it. And uh, I'll sign the final papers as soon as I get into the Oval Office. And we will have a national emergency. And we will then be sued. And they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling. And then we'll get another bad ruling. And then we'll end up in the Supreme Court. And hopefully we'll get a fair shake. And we'll win in the Supreme Court, just like the ban. They sued us in the Ninth Circuit, and we lost, and then we lost in the appellate division, and then we went to the Supreme Court, and we won. So let me say this. This is not how a dictator would talk. This is a guy who's kind of frustrated with the system, but he's living with the system because that's the way it is, right? It makes we understand that they don't, and even if they do, they're intent on lying about it, and oh boy, do they lie. I mentioned this Erin Burnett character from CNN. She is the worst of the worst, taking everything Donald Trump says out of context and trying to fearmonger, make people very afraid. Uh, they maybe should be afraid of her and what she's doing to innocent people. Take a look. That's the reality of Trump. That's his M.O. Say it, even if it's not true. If you say it long enough, hard enough, often enough, people will start to believe it. And you know what? He's been right about that. It has worked for Trump in astonishing ways, to be honest, in completely astonishing ways. Well, she portrayed that as Donald Trump revealing a strategy, right? She just said, OK, we, we heard him say, say it. Even if it's not true, they'll think it's true. Like it's Donald Trump's strategy. Now, did Donald Trump reveal his strategy? Did he say that out loud like she said? Of course not. Watch what really happened without her commentary. 
There isn't one Democrat in the country that said that. And in a year from now, the fake news will say they've always been on this side. It's amazing. If you say it long enough, hard enough, often enough, people will start to believe it. That's what happened with Russia. That's what happened with Ukraine. That's what happened with, well, the worst is when they don't say it, like the laptop from hell. So it's a biting, stinging uh, critique of the fake news, of which Aaron Burnett and her colleagues at CNN are prime examples, right? You saw, he was talking about the fake news. She pretended that he was talking about secrets of life. I don't like to say this often, but shame on her and everybody who works on that show and everybody who works at the network. Uh, Donald Trump, if you're a normal person and you want to understand him, this is what you got to do. You have to watch the July 4th, 2020 speech that Donald Trump delivered in the middle of the campaign. It is so pro-American. It is so straightforward. It is so common sense. If you have any friends who are afraid of Donald Trump, they're not afraid of Donald Trump. They're afraid of the lies that have been told about Donald Trump. And if you want to you wanna set them free with the truth, have them look that up. It's not hard to find for the time being. You never know with big tech. Many thanks, and I'll be right back. Congressman Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, for a time in the running to be Speaker of the House of Representatives. That would have been awesome. Uh, it could still happen someday. In the meantime, he is working very well, we believe, with uh, Speaker Johnson. Uh, the two are said to be uh, really good chums, really good allies. I hope I'm correct. Congressman Jim Jordan, welcome back to Newsmax. Good to see you again. Uh, Good how, to be with you. <clears throat> great to be with you. And how are you and Speaker Johnson? You guys are true blue, oh, right? No, he's a good man. Uh, was a member of our committee. Uh, I mean, just a solid Christian guy who, uh, you know, skilled lawyer, argued cases in front of the Supreme Court, ran the, was chairman of the Constitution subcommittee, critical subcommittee of the overall Judiciary Committee. So uh, Mike and uh, uh, Kelly, just wonderful people. In fact, Polly and I, three years ago, we went to Israel with Mike and Kelly, had a wonderful trip. Um, just, just a good person who I think is going to do a nice job as, uh, as our speaker. That's awesome. And I think you employed him very well at the Judiciary Committee. Hey, tomorrow Joe Biden is meeting with President Xi in San Francisco, which seems yeah. a little bit odd, uh, all the way across the country to meet Xi a little bit closer to China. And I'm wondering, you know, I mean, let's face it, it looks like uh, the Chinese have all kinds of stuff on Joe Biden, all kinds of weird conflict of interest here, millions of dollars coming into the Biden family. You think he's going to represent us well tomorrow, Joe Biden? Well, I hope. I mean, he is, he is our president. You want to root for our president. But uh, if the last two years and in what is it now, 10 months are any indication, uh, he probably won't go. It probably won't go well. I mean, tell me one thing that the Biden administration is. I always say this, you know, we went from a secure border to no border. We went from safe streets to record crime. We went from two dollar gas to three, four, five dollar gas. We went from stable prices to record inflation. We have the federal government being turned against. We, the people going after the very citizens it's supposed to serve. And of course, President Trump projected strength. And now in this administration, we have Joe Biden, who does anything but that. So uh, I don't expect a whole lot, but let's hope there's something positive that comes out of this meeting in San Francisco. Where are you right now on impeachment? Uh, it seems like, uh, you know, there's an inquiry or there was. And, uh, you know, let's face it, he's probably going to get convicted in the, in the Senate. How do you feel about it? Should it be done? 
Well, we are in the, you know, part of our oversight duty is, is now we're in this stage of impeachment inquiry. And look, you have the Ways and Means Committee who had the whistleblowers come forward, um, and the IRS whistleblowers. Their story has stood up. We've deposed now seven different people as part of David Weiss's investigation. And the one takeaway from all those depositions is, is that the, the whistleblower story, Mr. Shapley, Mr. Ziegler, nothing has been undermined by what these, what these other folks we've talked to have told us. And then so we're looking at how David Weiss handled the investigation. And of course, Chairman Comer and the Oversight Committee are looking at the suspicious activity reports, the bank records, the selling of the brand, which was Joe Biden, the access to him. So we're going to continue to do our work. we got a number of, of, of interviews and depositions we have to do this month and next month. And then I think in early next year, January next year, we make a decision based on the facts and evidence. Do we actually have articles of impeachment that should be filed? And do we move forward with impeachment? But it'll be driven, unlike the Democrats four years ago, this will be driven by the facts and the evidence. And when you're driven by the facts and the evidence, it takes longer, correct? It does. But here's the central theme, Greg. And I, I think the Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company and Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's involvement with that sort of tells the whole story. This story is truly as old as time. You got a politician who takes certain actions that benefit his family financially, and then there's an effort to conceal it and sweep it under the rug, which is what I believe David Weiss and his investigation was. But when you look at Burisma, four key facts. Hunter Biden's put on the board of Burisma, fact number one. Fact number two, he's not qualified to be on the board. He told us himself in an ABC interview, he said he got the job because of his last name. Fact number three, the Burisma executives asked Hunter Biden, can you weigh in? Can you help us? We're under a lot of pressure from the prosecutor in Ukraine. Can you help us? Immediately after getting that request, Hunter Biden gets on the phone, calls his dad. Fact number four, Joe Biden goes to Ukraine and says, I will hold up American tax dollars, won't send them, even though that's been approved. I'm going to hold that up until you fire the prosecutor and relieve this pressure that Burisma is under. That is, that is, I mean, frankly, that's exactly what they went after President Trump for. Turned out it wasn't true with President Trump, but it sure looks like it's accurate when you look at Joe Biden and how that benefited his family. And all that would suggest that tomorrow when he meets with President Xi, he's not going to be able to do it fully and effectively for the American people. Because, you know, just like Ukraine, he's got a lot of entanglements over there in China. And you're wondering what he's thinking about first. Hey, do me a favor. Take a look at this. Yeah. Governor Newsom getting ready for the big visit from uh, the Chinese president. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, that's true. Because it's true. But it's also true, for months and months and months prior to APEC, we've been having different conversations. And we've raised the bar of expectation between the city, the county, and the state. Wow, and they our, raised our the bar. Partners. Listen, I can't believe that Democrats are impressed with this guy. I found it personally <laughs> insulting that they're getting ready for uh, the Chinese <laughs> leader, yet the border is wide open, filth and homelessness to, yeah. encouraged and tolerated. Plus, just the way he said it, he said it's true because it's true, and then it's true. I mean, how many times can you use the word? I mean, that didn't make any sense to me, just, just the way he said it. But, oh, oh, so for a foreigner, you can clean up your town, but for the citizens who pay taxes and who live there and run businesses and have families there, you can't do it for them? You're just going to, you know, look up for, what, what do you say, look, to, look at ways to raise the bar, I guess? Um, I mean, this is California, where they have the highest tax burden. They got people leaving that state, going to states with a lower tax burden and more freedom. Um, I think that sort of tells the whole picture.
So overall, how are how are things in the in the Congress right now? Let's face it, it's been a bit of a chaotic time. Uh, eh, not nearly as bad as the border, but you know you got the fake news bothering you, uh, covering every little uh, change and every little feud. But overall, you guys have the bandwidth to get the business done, right? Yeah, I I, I think so. Um, look, we're uh, we're focused on doing the work of the American people. We're particularly focused on this investigation. Um, we released a report two weeks ago that I think shows just how bad the censorship effort was, what some have called the censorship industrial complex, big government working with big tech. But in this situation, it was even worse. It was big government, big academia, Stanford University, University of Washington working with big tech to censor Americans. It was disproportionately done to conservatives, 10 to 1 to conservatives. And you had the federal government. Think about this. The federal government actually in 2020 undermining the president. So the, the people they're supposed, they're undermining the guy they're supposed to work for. That was happening with DHS and working with this election integrity partnership at Stanford University. So uh, that, that was an important piece that we think we got out there and showed just how bad this censorship effort truly was. And that you've exposed them. You think they're dare going to try it again? Well, there, you know, you always got to keep your eye on, on big government um, and, and, and big universities. But it's interesting. There have been a number of stories written, Greg, where they say like, oh, we're going to have to stop this because the Judiciary Committee's looking into us. It's costing us money to hire lawyers to go for the depositions. Well, good. We don't want you <laughs> censoring Americans' First Amendment free speech rights, for goodness sake. So and here's another example. The IRS announced three months ago they will no longer be making unannounced visits to American people's homes. And Danny Warfall, the commissioner of the IRS, said, we're doing this for the safety of our agents. Baloney. They're doing it because we caught him knocking on Matt Taibbi's door yeah. while he's testifying in front of our committee. And we caught him in that. And they're like, oh, sugar, we better we better stop mm -hmm. this. So that so just sometimes by getting the truth out there, exposing what they're doing, you can have a real impact as well. Awesome. Yeah. And that was wild what they pulled with that journalist. Congressman Jordan, we appreciate it so much. Continued success. Hang in there. I know it's tough sometimes. We're, we're so grateful. And we'll be right back. Thank you. Thanks for all you do. Well, this was a beautiful scene. Hundreds of thousands of people coming out to support Israel today in Washington, D.C., on the mall. Uh, that's just a little smidgen of the crowd. It goes, yep, there you go, on and on and on. Uh, awesome, awesome turnout. And they're rooting for the good guys, of course, right? Because Hamas, they're the terrorists, and they started this thing, and they started it by attacking women and children. The very first um, onslaught in this war was a war crime. You can't take women and children uh, prisoners, right? And you can deliberately target them as they did at that concert in those homes. They're war criminals. And I think Israel is being incredibly generous with them. Um, Bibi Netanyahu spoke about this, accommodating them. I mean, going out of their way to have these temporary, what are they, pauses in the fight? Never heard of such a thing. He doesn't want anybody to die who doesn't deserve to die. Listen to this. How many civilian deaths are you willing to bear in order to achieve your ultimate goal of eradicating Hamas? If I had my way, there wouldn't be a single civilian death. If I had my way, 
no civilians would be killed. If Israel had its way and our calls would be heeded, they'll all be out of harm's way. I believe him. That's the way they operate. The bad guys deliberately target civilians. It's from the first day of the war. Look at what they're doing to that wounded person in the back of the pickup truck. And the crowd, they're, they're celebrating this torture, this humiliation. You're not allowed to do that. The civilized world says this is not allowed. The Geneva Convention, you can look it up. Meanwhile, the Israeli Defense Forces are conducting targeted operations. And yeah, from time to time, there will be collateral damage. Innocent people will die, and that is regrettable. They seek to avoid it, but it will happen. That's what makes war something to be avoided unless you positively have to do it. And Israel right now, positively, they've got to do it. Because they're faced with this. Have you ever heard of the phrase, from the river to the sea? From the river to the sea. It sounds innocuous, maybe. It's not, actually. It's a call for genocide. From the river to the sea. Most people have no idea what that means. Um, they're yelling and screaming it all over the place. From the river to the sea! From the river to the sea! Palestine will be free! Palestine will be free! From the river to the sea! Palestine will be free! From the river to the sea! Palestine will be free! From the river to the sea! All right, you get it? From the river to the sea. But what river, what sea, what is that all about? What does it mean? Well, let's check out the river and the sea that they're talking about. They're talking about the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. And they say that Palestine should exist from both the river to the sea. You get it, right? That should be Palestine's home. The thing is, Israel is there. So when they say from the river to the sea, uh, Palestine should be free, that means no Israel, just Palestine. So you eradicate Israel to make way for Palestine. That is genocide. That is awful. It's not benign. It's absolutely hateful. And by the way, I think we are now 38 days, 38 days, the hostages still in custody. We cannot forget and we cannot relent. And we'll be right back. So this man we told you about earlier, child who died at the age of 17 last week after he was beat up by a gang of teenagers. Well, police are reporting that they have made arrests. Eight people have been arrested and they face uh, murder charges. All right. Eight teens. So far, the investigation is ongoing. And uh, wow, that is quite a story, huh? Glad something is happening in that case. All right. Did you see this? Um, little squabble that happened on Capitol Hill. This man in the trench coat, Congressman Burkett, says that Kevin McCarthy, like, elbowed him in the back and went ran running outside to tell CNN all about it. Well, I was doing an interview um, with um, Claudia from NPR, uh, a lovely lady, and she was asking me a question. And, and at that time, I uh, got elbowed in the back and it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys. And I turned back, and there was there was Kevin, and um, and I, I for a minute I was kind of what the heck just happened? And then I, um, you know, I, I chased after him. Of course, he's a as I've stated many times, he's a he's a bully with 17 million dollars in a security detail. You know, he's the type of guy that when you're a kid would throw a rock over the fence and run home and hide behind his mama's skirt. And he just, you know, he he. Uh, 
from behind, that kind of stuff. It, you know, that's not the way we handle things in East Tennessee. We, we, if we have a problem with somebody, I'm going to look them in the eye. Well, I don't think they handle things in East Tennessee by running out to tell CNN you had some sort of uh, argument with Kevin McCarthy. I'm no big Kevin McCarthy fan, but he's gone. All right. You defeated him. And he said that some NPR reporter was a very nice person. She's terrible. Forgive me, but she is a fake news queen. She's no very fine person. She's terrible. If you love fake news, I guess she's great. Anyway, this goes on. And then you watch the fake news try to make something again. He's, he got jostled in the hallway, allegedly. Watch CNN go at it. So where did he, where did he yell? Just, were you, I just let it go at that point. It wasn't. Were you yelling? Uh, he, he was, yeah, I raised my voice to him. I thought it was appropriate. Did he raise his voice back to you? Yeah, just that high-pitched. Did he walk into his office? How did this end? No, he just kept on walking down the hall. Did his detail try well, to stop The detail kind of got, they, they, one guy got, got between us. Were you injured? I don't, I don't know, injured, man. I mean, did it hurt? Care to uh, care to make a bigger deal out of this, sir? Please do. Were you? Uh, are you going to charge him with assault? Maybe go to the cops? He actually asked him that later. It goes on and on and on like that. Uh, and then once the interview is all done, watch the rest of the fake news. Follow this congressman around because they want to get in on it too. Watch. I let you go. Others want to talk to you as well. Thanks for thanks for your time. And as you can hear there, uh, uh, Fred, if you're still with me, um, um, if you're still with me. Um, so pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. Yeah, remarkable. What's remarkable is watching all your fake news colleagues follow that guy off. Oh, they wait a second. Did, did an elbow hit your back? What happened here? Can we make a deal out of this? They didn't treat Jamal Bowman, the congressman who pulled the fire alarm like that. Anyway, they weren't over. They weren't finished. CNN, the most trusted name in news, went inside the studio and they did a whole reenactment of the whole darn silly thing. Some that NPR reporter, the, the wonderful woman, put it on Twitter. Watch these two go at it. Hey, Kevin, why'd you elbow me in the back, Kevin? Hey, Kevin, you got any guts? Burchette then looked back at me and said, jerk, referring to McCarthy. I asked if he had done that before. Burchette said no. That's when the chase ensued. Burchette took off after McCarthy and his detail. I chased behind them with my mic, Claudia says. And then she says Burchette yelled after catching up to catching up to McCarthy. Hey, Kevin, why'd you walk behind me and elbow me in the back? Kevin says, I didn't elbow you in the back. Burchette says, you got no guts. You did so. The reporter said it right here. What kind of chicken move is that? Burchette continued. You All got right, no you guts. See? You did see how so. silly, superficial, high school gossip nonsense? They spent more time on this than Ashley Babbitt. More time on this than the Hunter Biden laptop. They are fools. They really are. Uh, CNN, the most trusted name in news. Who's old enough to remember moments like this? Our top story. The Iron Curtain between East Germany and West Berlin has come tumbling down. East Germany announced today it is opening its borders, allowing its citizens to go anywhere they wish. Yeah, the that's the CNN the I grew up with. Uh, it's not the CNN now. You got those two people going through gossips like two kids in the cafeteria. <laughs> they're, they're riding the coattails of that guy on the left, right? What CNN used to be. And now look at what it has become. What a shame. Although it's good for us. I'll be right back. Let us take as our goal, where peace is unknown, make it welcome. Where peace is fragile, make it strong. Where peace is temporary, 
make it permanent. A brand new President Richard M. Nixon, Inauguration Day 1969. Richard Nixon, probably my second favorite president right behind Donald Trump. A new book, it's called The Peacemaker, Nixon, The Man, President, and My Friend by Ben Stein. Of course, Ben Stein, well known to our Newsmax viewers. He worked for President Trump. I believe we have a picture of those two together. Let, there they are. Uh, this is sometime post-presidency. Ben Stein, of course, the author, the, uh, well, part-time game show host, cultural icon. Everybody knows who Ben Stein is. And Ben, welcome back. We're grateful for this new book. I bet Richard Nixon, the president, really would have liked the title. You bet. You bet he would. He would have liked everything about it. <laughs> he did. That was his, his goal, his focus, right? Foreign policy. It intrigued him a lot more than the domestic side of things. I was, he was intrigued by all of it, but uh, his goal was to leave a generation of peace, and he did it. It was an amazing accomplishment, and nobody thought he could do it, but he did it. Then, um, obviously, he's the only president to have resigned. Um, I have heard people look at it, and they see the swamp kind of turned on him. Establishment Washington turned on him, similar to what they did to President Trump. Do you see it that way? Very much so. Uh, I think in both cases, as we look back on it, it's extremely hard to tell what Nixon was doing wrong. And I, I think as a student of Watergate, as a person who worked on Watergate, as a lawyer on Watergate defending President Nixon, I never saw what he did wrong. Uh, I never saw what President Trump did wrong, although uh, certainly he was a, a kind of a, a abrasive personality to some. But I, I think it's, it was all a media hatchet job, a media coup d'etat, and uh, very unfortunate for the United States of America and for the world. Ben, you saw him up close. Uh, you went to the best schools. I think you went to Yale, maybe another Ivy League school or two, and you've taught at some of the best. Richard Nixon did not, but he was smart enough to get into those schools, but, it, but he never went. I've heard, you know, pop psychologists say that he was hung up about that and it really bothered him and affected the way he governed, the way he lived. So that's fake, right? Completely fake. He, he could not have cared one bit about whether his diploma said Harvard or Whittier or anything else. He just, he wanted to get the job done and he got the job done. I mean, he went from being a son of a very small time businessman and a bus driver uh, to being a uh, president who brought about peace uh, in many different parts of the world and ended the Cold War, for all intents and purposes, by opening relations with China, thereby showing the Russians that they were encircled by people who didn't like them very much, namely China and the United States of America, and uh, thereby they could not win a war against us, and they might as well make peace. And, and that's what they did, for, at least for a while, until Mr. Putin came into power and uh, threw things uh, into a cocked hat. Why, why Mr. Putin did that, I don't know. I'm, I suspect he regrets it. So the day he left office, uh, he gave a very emotional speech to White House staff. He talked about his mother. He talked about uh, being at the bottom of the pit. It really was a wild speech. And Ben Stein, you were in the room. Uh, you were on the White House staff. I think you may be the only one alive uh, who was in that room, quite frankly, except for his daughters, perhaps, and uh, the, the in-laws. Ben, firsthand. Well, that girl who was standing to my left is very much still alive. Forgive me. Who is that, by the way? 
That was a girl who worked for my father as a statistical analysis when my father was chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. And very, a very, very wonderful human being. Hey, you know what? And Kissinger is still alive. I take that back. Lots of people are still alive in that room. So from one of many still alive, Ben, what was it like? It was uh, that morning was uh, heart rendering, as my wife would say, heart rending, as most people would say. And uh, we were all very, very sad. We felt as if he'd been undone by a media coup d'etat. We did not see what he had done wrong. We saw a great many things he had done right. Uh, Those of us who are Jewish in the room and who loved Eretz Israel, which means the state of Israel, uh, we saw him as the savior of Israel. He stood up to the Russians when the Russians threatened to use their uh, paratroops against the Israeli army, uh, when the Israeli army had crossed the Red Sea behind the uh, Egyptian army. Uh, he, he risked nuclear war to save Israel. No other president has ever done anything remotely that brave for the Jews. No other leader of a nation or a state or a religion or anything has ever been as good a friend to the Jews as Richard M. Nixon. And yet he is remembered by various, um, what shall I say, nutcases as an anti-Semite. Ah, uh, well, look, there were some comments uh, made in the uh, Oval Office that we have recordings of. And this is, uh, Sir, I'm sorry, I, I got two more questions do. for you. How do you do. square that? How do you square that? Because we've heard the tapes. He uses I, the I, bad words. He bet. uses you, the slurs. How do you how do you square that? I square that by saying that was standard country club Gentile chatter in those days and still is. Uh, with respect, I belong to a very nice club down in the desert. I uh, used to go to another very nice, very, very nice club called El Dorado down in the desert. And uh, that's, that's still the way people talk. And yet those people are married to Jews. Their children are married to Jews. It was standard country club conversation. It was. And when push came to shove, Nixon risked everything to save Israel. I'll take somebody who calls me any name he wants and will save my life over someone who's politically correct and doesn't give a damn whether I live or die. Yeah, there's a lot of faux outrage about the comments and a complete lack of perspective, those who go bananas. Hey, can I just show this real quick? The picture that you chose, Norman Rockwell, I think this is his favorite portrait, his official portrait. And if you don't mind, just tell everybody, look, there are probably about 1,000, maybe 2,000, 5,000 books about Richard Nixon what is the contribution that you want people to come away with? What, what is the contribution you made here that's different? He's a very kind man. He's a compassionate man. He is a peace lover. He's not tricky dick. He didn't do anything wrong. The whole idea that he was running a conspiracy of some kind against the Constitution is just nonsense, cooked up by the left-wing media outlets and the left-wing media uh, powerhouses in America. This man loved peace. And I will say to you, the essence of Richard Nixon is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Beautiful. And that's... uh... I think that's on the first page of your book, actually, right out of Matthew. Well, that's where I got it, right out of the Bible. (laughs) Right from the God. Ben Stein, good luck with the book, The Peacemaker. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Thank you for having me on. You bet. We'll do it again, and I'll be right back. Yes, sir. Thank you. (laughs) 
Have you heard about Newsmax Plus? You got to get it, uh, especially if you're not subscribing to a major satellite provider or cable service, right? Uh, you want to stream us, watch us on your smartphone or your smart TV, please go to NewsmaxPlus.com. And it's not hard and it's not expensive. It's pennies a day, okay? NewsmaxPlus.com. And once you sign up, you get Newsmax and Newsmax 2 wherever you are, wherever you go. All kinds of archival footage, the special interviews that I've done with President Trump, unique documentaries, even some movies. It's really terrific, and we'd so appreciate it. We're very excited about the content we are creating here. We know you like it, and I think you'll like Newsmax Plus even more. So NewsmaxPlus.com. It's a free trial, so you know no risk whatsoever. Uh, please join us. Check it out. I would very much appreciate it if you do. And so would my daughter. Here she is, Madeline. Madeline is just one year old. Want to see her run down the hall? Yeah. With her potato chips? Here, Madeline. Here she comes. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. She's just one. She's going to be too soon. And she already likes potato chips. Thank you, honey. Okay. Well, it's a lovely thing. She's a lovely girl. And uh, her sister, Annalise, is three. And uh, it's just wonderful. My wife and I made a family. And uh, anyway, thank you very, very much. I'll be back tomorrow.